Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. series as we're walking through the book of First Thessalonians here uh, in a series that I'm calling the Exemplary Church. All right, to the title of today's message is Real Pleasure. Real Pleasure. You know, one of the questions that Christians often ask, right, we wonder about this because we want to know. We want to know what is God's will for my life? How many of you guys have ever wondered that? What is God's will, right? We, we, we want the details. Now, in one sense, I just want to be straight up with you as you ask that, and as you struggle to answer that. In one sense, that is an impossible question to answer. And here's why. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. In other words, the full details of our future, your individual future, they are hidden in the mind of our sovereign God. Will I be here or there in 20 years? <laughs> I don't know. God knows. I, I, I don't know. Not only do I not know, but I can't know. Will I be doing this or will I be doing this or do, doing that in uh, 2031, in a decade? Again, I, I don't know, but God knows. So we rest in knowing that he has a plan for us that he's working out. But the details of his will that we often want to know. Right? We, 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 we would love to know, like, if we could just have a crystal ball to just peek into our future and see what we're doing, right? We would, that, that would really please us. Of course, that's witchcraft. That's why we don't do that, all right? But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, those are the things we want to know. But the details of those wills, God keeps it in what we would theologically call his, his secret will, his sovereign will. Again, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God and we say that and we say, but Lord, I want to know the will, your will for my life. Don't you wish that you could know the will of God for your life? Well, thankfully, the verse there in Deuteronomy 29 doesn't stop there. When we look at the fullness of Deuteronomy 29, 29, here's what we read. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But notice it's the things that are what, church? What's that word? Revealed. Everybody say revealed. God has revealed to us a great portion of his will. Look at what it says. But the, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. So praise God. Like Not all of God's will is secret. We can know a great deal of God's will. In fact, I would argue that we can know the most important parts of God's will for our lives. So he's revealed his will to us in so many ways, primarily through his commandments. He's recorded them for us in the Bible, the very word of God. As Pastor Mark Howell, he points out, he says, contrary to mistaken notions of many, God's will isn't hidden or mysterious. It's not like you have to decipher some code to find it. Throughout the scriptures, you read specific statements that reveal God's will for you. And here are just a few that he points us to. For instance, it is God's will that you be saved, according to 1 Timothy 2.4. Right? If you came in here without Jesus Christ, God's will for your life is to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. 
According to Romans 12 too, God's will for your life is that you be transformed into the image of God, right? That you be conformed to the image of Jesus through the renewing of your mind, that you begin to think like God and then in turn live like God would have you to live. We see in 1 Peter 2 that God's will is that you have a good testimony to those who are outside the church. That, that when people see you, that they would say, man, that dude is a Christian or that, that girl is a Christian. There's no doubt about it that you'd have a good testimony. 1 Peter 3 says that it's God's will that you would suffer for living a life of righteousness before the world. It's God's will, according to Ephesians 5, that you would be spirit-filled. And as we come into November, very fitting, it's God's will in 1 Thessalonians 5 that you would be thankful. So all kinds of places where God specifically tells you and me, this is my will for your life. And as we turn here in our text to 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today. We see another place where scripture is just explicit here. What is God's will for my life? Well, right here it is. We see it in verse 3. For this is the will of God. And so antennas should go up right now. Right? I mean, he's getting ready to answer your question. God, what is your will for my life? And here it is, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will for your life is that you live a life of holiness. That's a general will. And specifically, how do you live that out? Well, you abstain from sexual immorality. That pleases God. And here's the deal. God's will for this church is to stand and proclaim God's will that people should live in sexual holiness, right? That, that, that takes guts, of course, in this day and age. It is not a popular message, particularly in 2021, to stand and say, thus says the Lord, this is holy and this is not. Because let's be real, what's going on around us is a sexual revolution. We, it's been going on for decades, right? I mean, a lot of you can remember when it began, maybe. You, you would point to these events, maybe in the 1960s or, or the 1950s or the 1970s and say, this is when it began. But guys, right now it's in full swing. It is fully going. It's not just a revolution anymore. It's past that to where it's becoming the mainstay. But I pray, guys, that this church... It would never shrink away from declaring God's revealed will to his people and to the world. Now, if you're new here today, you, you might say, well, why is he preaching this passage? And let me just tell you why, because you need to know why. And here's the reason, because it's the next passage in the Bible. Amen? <laughs> right? This is not a hobby horse that I'm just getting on, right? We're walking through 1 Thessalonians so that the people of God can know the word of God. Amen. And this is, this is the next thing. And we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to stand and proclaim what God's word says, all right? So again, I pray that this church is and would be filled with people who are committed to and striving to be sexually holy. That would please God. Well, let's see. Let's look at the fullness of what God has to say to us today in our text, all right? Here at Eastwood, we stand to honor the reading of God's word. So I want to invite you to stand, please. We're going to begin there in the first verse of chapter 4 here in 1 Thessalonians and read down through the 8th verse. And here's what the Word of God says to us. This is not just Paul, okay? This is God speaking through Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Thessalonians and to us. 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray together. Father, we've read your word today, and so help us to apply it. God, help it, help it to measure us. But then ultimately, God, would it push us to Jesus Christ? I don't want anybody to leave here today to say I'm hopeless because that's not what your word is meant to do. Your word is to remove hope in ourselves and to point us to hope in Jesus Christ. And so I pray you would do that today, that we would leave here hopeful in Jesus and, and ready, desiring to walk a, a path of, of, of holiness, particularly sexual holiness to you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. And amen and amen. So grab your seat if you would. So as you look at the text here, here's today's truth. And we're going to make this as, a, as sort of a, a declaration, right? As an aspiration for all of us as we come out of this text. And here's the aspiration. I want to please God by walking in sexual holiness. Guys, that should be the desire of every single person in this room. Because that's God's will for every single person in this room. We should desire to be sexually pure. And, and here's the deal, as, as Chuck Swindoll pointed out, I think this is a, a, a true statement. No one remains pure by accident, he said. No one remains pure by accident. In other words, guys, we've we got to be intentional about this, right? If we're going to be sexually pure, we've got to be intentional or we'll never be that because the gravity of our depravity pulls us in to immorality, all right? So we got to be intentional. And how do we do that? Well, our text here gives us five keys that we can use to, to live this kind of life, the life that God has called us to, to a life that pleases God. So first, if I want to please God by walking in sexual holiness, here's the first thing that we got to do. I must find my pleasure foremost in the pleasure of God. Right? That, that's the bigger pleasure. The pleasure of God is bigger than the pleasure that we see here. Now, no doubt about it, guys. Sex is an amazing gift from God, all right? It, it binds hearts, minds, bodies together. It, it produces beautiful babies and, and, and baby boys and, and baby girls and all of those things. But this is also something that we have to be frank about. It provides also a whole lot of pleasure. I mean, listen, God is ingenious. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Think about when he created us in Genesis 1, he created us as male and female. And then he told us to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. And here's the ingenious part is that he made being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth really pleasurable and really fun. So that it's something that we long to experience. Can you imagine how sparse the population of the world would be if that was a drudgery? <laughs> If the being fruitful and multiplying uh, hurt or whatever else, right? I mean, it would be awful. But no, God made it in such a way 
that we long for, that it's an experience that we want to experience again, right? Thank God for his brilliance. You know, as a father of five, I get asked all the time, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've been asked this, you know, don't you know what causes that? That's what somebody will say, right? It usually happens when I first meet somebody. Hey, I'm Ben. This is my wife, Christy. And they'll say, oh, man, hey, great to meet you guys. Do you have any kids? And we'll say, well, we have five. And then this is the typical smart aleck response that we always get. And they're trying to be funny. They're not trying to be mean. But they go, wow, don't you know what causes that? And I've come up with some responses over the years that, you know, kind of just kind of push back a little bit. For instance, like here's one of my favorites. No, man, I have no clue. Could you draw me a picture of that? <laughs> That's one of my favorites that I use. Uh, and the other one is this. Oh, yeah, man, I do. I, I know exactly what causes that, but God made it too fun. So I can't quit. <laughs> so so we got to be real this morning. Part of the glory of God in sex is that it is incredibly pleasurable. But here's the deal, and here's what you got to get. Guys, the world lives for pleasure, but it's pleasure unrestrained, right? It's pleasure unrestrained. Here's the deal. Sexual pleasure is not the only pleasure that we live for. Our text here, it points us to a greater pleasure that you and I should seek out. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. There it is right there. How you ought to please God. That's where you're going to find the greater pleasure, the fuller pleasure, the lasting pleasure. We find it in the pleasure of God. And that's the part the world doesn't understand. They don't, they, don't, they don't get a clue. They don't have a clue. You see, when it comes to our sexual ethic, the world thinks that you and I are prudes, that we're killjoys. We just need to loosen up and live life, they say. Like if we follow God, we're denying ourselves pleasure. But that's not what God is asking you to do. He's not asking you to deny yourself pleasure He's actually asking you to aim for a higher pleasure. He's asking you to aim for something that is not just temporary, not as just here and, and gone. He's not asking us to trade more pleasure for less. He's, he's asking us to pursue the greater pleasure. The pleasure of God, guys, is much greater. It's lasting. It's fuller. It's more meaningful. It's wholesome. All of those things. So if I'm going to walk in sexual holiness, then I must find my pleasure foremost in the pleasure of God. Second, we see here in our text, if I want to please God by walking in sexual holiness, then I must know that God has commanded me and has called me to holiness. you got to know that. You've been commanded and called, if you're a Christian, to holiness. Now, the truth of the matter is, even if you're not a Christian, you've been commanded. God's revealed will is not just for Christians, it's for everybody. And one day we will all stand before God, who has given the commandment. But those who are Christians, we've also been called, right, to a life that follows Jesus. But here's the truth of the matter when you look at the Thessalonians here. They were totally ignorant. They had no clue this was God's will for their life. They lived in a pagan society. They, they didn't live... In the Bible Belt, they lived in a society that perpetuated spiritual darkness. And I get it. The, the, the belt of the Bible is being, you know, the Bible Belt, they're, they're taking it off, right? They're getting rid of it. They're throwing it out. And, and, and we're seeing an increasing spiritual darkness 
creeping across our nation and, of course, across our world. But nevertheless, the, the, the pagan society that the Thessalonians were in, they were clueless. They were ignorant. Their culture perpetuated sexual immorality. To help us understand how that, exactly what was going on, James Grant, he gives us some insight here into the context of Thessalonica, the city that Paul's writing to, right? He's writing to the Thessalonians, and they lived in the city of Thessalonica. Here's what he writes. He says, in Paul's day, marriages in the Greek and Roman world were set up by family arrangements. In other words, it wasn't by love. Young men in their 20s and young ladies in their teens had barely met when they were married. Marriage was simply a legal arrangement for the exchanging of money and goods and the ability to have children. He goes on, he says, This created an environment in the Greco-Roman world where most people didn't expect husbands to be committed to their marriages. Sexual misconduct and adultery were widespread. Prostitution was a business just like any other source of income. Innkeepers kept slave girls for the sexual entertainment of their customers. And adulterous activity was so widespread that Emperor August in 63 BC established law codes to reform marital conduct. Living several centuries before Paul's time period, a man named Demosthenes explained the situation in this way. And here's how he explained it. He said, mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. He continues and says this. He says, we're surprised that this is stated in such a matter-of-fact way, but... Many people in that culture saw their behavior as normal. In fact, some religious practices of the Greco-Roman world encouraged this type of behavior. Called cultic prostitution, temple prostitution, and religious prostitution, it is the practice of having sexual intercourse for a religious or sacred purpose. In Thessalonica, the cult of Kabiri, a Samothrace, sanctioned sexual relationships that could be considered sinful practices for Christians. And so converts to Christianity in Thessalonica would have come from some form of this background that encouraged such illicit sexual activity. And so the Thessalonicans, they lived in sexual darkness. All they knew was sexual immorality. All they knew was living for fleshly pleasure and God in His grace. And praise God for God in His grace. God in His grace and in His mercy, He shined the light of the gospel there into Thessalonica. And then He shined the light of His word on them through Paul. Look at verse 2 and 3. He says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have told you what God says about these things. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And praise God, they were no longer ignorant. And I pray that today, after you leave here, that you will be no longer ignorant of these things. The light had been shown on them, and they had received the light. And so they now knew God's instructions, His will for their life, and what God had called them to when He called them to salvation. Right? They had received a new purpose. And so we see the purpose here. It's basically worded in the negative there in verse 3. Verse 3, it says, abstain, abstain, don't do sexual immorality. And then we see it in the positive there in verse 7 and 8. For God has not called us for impurity, but 
in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Did you hear the positive formulation of what God's calling you to? God has called you to holiness is what he's saying here. That's our calling in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, the purpose for your life is to live a life that is set apart for righteousness. That's what you're made for. That's what you're saved for. It's your calling. God told us in Leviticus, but he reiterates it through Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.16, where God says to you and me, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You and I are called to be holy because God is holiness. Again, what is holiness? It's a life dedicated to righteousness. It's a life that abstains from sinfulness. That's what holiness is. So here's the deal, guys. For Christians, it's not optional. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must, we must, have a life that's dedicated to righteousness. He's commanded us to be holy. He has called us to be holy. Therefore, guys, please God by walking in sexual holiness. Third, then, as we walk through the text here, if, if I want to please God by walking in sexual holiness, then here's the third thing that we got to do. And it's this. We must know what is sexually unholy and, and, and abstain from it, right? You, you can't abstain from something you don't know what it is. So he tells us here. He tells us here in verse 3. That we are to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that's a really broad term, isn't it? It's a huge broad term. Uh, In the Greek, it's just one word. In in our English, it's two, sexual morality. But in the Greek, just one word. It's a word that you know very well in our culture. It's the Greek word porneia, which just comes right over in to the English language as porn, okay? Now, when we think of porn, we think of pornography, which is sexually explicit material. But porn, according to the Bible, is much broader than that, guys. It's, 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 it's anything that is sexually immoral, okay? And where do we go to find what is sexually immoral? Where, where do we find the definition of this? Do we, do we go to society? Uh, do we go to the Internet? Do we go to our school? Where do we go? No, you can't go to those places, Because here's the deal. Anywhere you go in the world to try to define these things, here's the truth of the matter. Sinners will always redefine sin so that they're no longer a sinner. Let me say that again. If you're looking how to define sin by the world, just know this, that sinners always redefine sin so that they're no longer sinners. So the only place that you can go to really know What is sinful and what is not, what is sexually moral and what is sexually immoral is the Word of God. we got to turn to the one who invented sex itself and to whom you and I will stand before. You're not going to stand before your buddies. You're not going to stand before your school. You're not going to stand before the U.S. government. You're not going to stand before the cultural elites of the day. You're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account for how you used the gift that he gave you in sex. And when we turn to scripture, we find the details. Praise God that he tells us so that we know what to abstain from. Now, it's not all here in this text. Again, he just uses the catch-all term. But when we take the fullness of the word of God, 
we find one, two, three, four, five, six, seven categories. At least seven categories of sexual morality that you and I should abstain from. The first one is what the Bible calls fornication. Fornication is being sexually intimate with somebody before marriage. That is sexual immorality. It doesn't matter what society says. This is what God says. Another category is adultery, which is sex outside of your marriage. Again, that's sexual immorality. Incest, which is sex with a close relative. Again, sexually immoral. Homosexuality, which is same-sex sex. Again, sexually immoral. Transgenderism. Transgenderism. Remember, God made us male and female, so even in how he designed us, he, he baked into us sexual identity, right? Male and female. Transgenderism is presenting yourself as the opposite sex, and the Bible says that is sexually immoral. Bestiality, sex with animals, that's sexually immoral. And then finally, the seventh category that we see in Scripture is lust. Lust, which is having sinful sex in your mind that is sexually immoral. So, of course, that makes all pornography sinful. God has said, y'all, abstain from these things. These are not, these things are not God's will for your life. These things are not holy. They're detestable. They're degrading. These things will drag you down on this earth. But more importantly, guys, they will drag you down to hell. Let the word of God be very clear this morning. Listen to what the word of God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, or do you not know, listen to this, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. There it is right there. There's that porneia again. Neither will the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, um, men who practice homosexuality. Now, the truth of the matter is there's, there's more to this in the Greek than, than our ESV translates here. It goes a step further to say effeminate men. In other words, men who pretend to be women and men who practice homosexuality. There, there's two parts in there. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You have to understand this morning. You got to see that practicing sexual immorality is utterly condemnable. If we give ourselves over to these things, you will bust hell wide open. If you don't turn from these things and trust in Jesus Christ and give yourself to Christ and said to these things instead of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you this morning, who, who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the world who says, man, just sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Do whatever you want to do with your body and don't even feel guilty about it. Do it until you quit feeling guilty. That's what the psychologist would tell us. But what does God say? God says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
anything that is out of bounds sexually, we're called to abstain from, to have nothing to do with. And so I, I just plead with you this morning, beloved, believe God. Follow God. Trust God. Because again, it's God who invented sex to begin with, and it's God to whom you will stand and to whom you'll give an account on that day when you stand before him. So please, please, please God by walking in sexual holiness. Here's the fourth thing we see in our text is we try to live this life. And it's this, it means here that if you want to please God by walking in sexual holiness, and that means number four, is that you must learn to control your body. <laughs> you got to, right? Look at verse four and five. The Bible says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Gentiles have no clue. They don't know God. They don't live for God. The people in this world out here who don't claim to know Jesus, they don't know God. So they're going to live like whatever their flesh leads them to. But you and I will not be led by our flesh. We'll be led by God. And let me tell you, <laughs> your flesh will do everything in its power to take control, right? Right? We are in these bodies. Keep in mind, what did we say from the book of Genesis? God has put in you and me, both men and women, this drive to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. That is in us. And that's not a bad thing, right? That's God-given. That drive, and we know that drive, particularly once you hit puberty. You know, man, it's like, that drive is there. It's there. And that's not a bad thing. God put that in you. But here's the deal. When you take that drive that God has put in you and then you couple that with our fallen nature, we want to drive it off a cliff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, guys, you've got to control your body. When those desires increase, when that hunger grows and however you want to describe it, you've got to be in control of it just like when you're driving that car down the road and maybe the, the, the front end's a little bit out of alignment and it, it wants to pull you over to the left side of the road into oncoming traffic. You don't just let it keep going, right? No, no, you grab the wheel and you steer it back. That's what you do. Or if a gust of wind hits you and knocks you over to this side, you don't just let it knock you off the road. No, you grab the wheel and you make sure that you're driving and that you are in control. And yeah, you were born. You were created in the image of God and created by God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But you were also created for holiness, right? So you've got to walk and live in such a way that you are in control of your body sexually. Look at Roman, uh, uh, Paul says this in, in, in first, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. All right, that's what you got to do. First, that means, like practically, what does that mean? How, what does it mean to control your body? Well, first it means that you control what you put in your body, what your eyes see and what your ears hear and what your body feels, all those things. We're in control. You can't always control what you see. I tell my kids all the time, you guys, you can't always control what you hear, but you can control what you say, all right? 
Same thing with us. We can't always control what our eyes see, right? We, we've all been there before. You're minding your own business. You're on the internet, and all of a sudden, boom, something pops up because of the page that you're on. You're like, whoa, right? We can't always control what our eyes see, but here's the deal. You can control how long you look at it. You can control whether or not you click on the link. You can control what your mind does with that racy image. You've got way more control than you let on. And so do I, right? And so first, we're careful. We, we, are, we, we control what our eyes see. But then we take every thought captive. Because here's the deal. So much of the way that God has designed us Sex is not just about a bodily experience, but it's about a mental experience, right? So much of it is part of your mind. And you can do things in your mind that you could never do with your body. And Jesus said this, even if you look after a woman in lust or after a man in lust, you have committed adultery with him or her in your mind. And so it's not just what you do with your body, it's what you do with your mind. And so you've got to learn, guys, to take every thought captive. When that picture gets in your mind and you begin to make moves in your mind and all those things, you've got to learn. Stop it. Take control. Take every thought captive and throw it out. Replace it. Focus on something else. And then third, I would say this. How do you practically do this? How do you practically take control of your body? You make sure that you don't get too close to the line that would cross over. You don't get too close to the cliff, let's call it, of sexual temptation. Because here's the deal, right? If I get to the edge of a cliff and I lean over too far, what's going to happen? Gravity's going to pull me in, right? It's the same thing with that drive that is in you, right? You get too close to the edge, it's like you can't stop. And next thing you know, you're over the edge. And so it's really important for you to have safeguards in your life that keep you from getting so close to the edge that you can't help but fall over. And here's the final thing. How do you control your body? You make sure that you fulfill your desires in God-honoring ways. You know, God defines for us all throughout the Scripture what is sexual immorality, but He also defines for us what is sexual morality. In other words, what is good? And that is to have a, spy, to have a spouse and make all the love you want. <laughs> That's basically it, right? That's where you go to fulfill these desires. We're not prudes. We're under the lordship of Jesus Christ in every aspect of our life. Be under the lordship. Here's the deal, though. For too many, for too many in our culture today, marriage is too far away. I mean, you're asking people to do something that's not impossible, but the deck is stacked against them. Think about this for a moment. The average age that somebody marries in 2021, the average age is 32 years old. 32 years old. When I was 32, I already had four kids. You know what I'm saying? Listen. If, you're, if you are an adult who is waiting to get married, God love you. But you're putting yourself in a situation. If you have the person that you're committed to and you're not marrying them, 
You are putting yourself in a situation where spiritually you are constantly in temptation. And it's very likely that you're giving in to the temptation. It's very likely that you are having all of the intimacy that you want without God's standard of marriage. And so I say to you this morning, stop putting it off. This is where Christians have to be countercultural. Countercultural. Don't be like the world, right? The world is going to hell. You should marry earlier than later. Straight up, you should marry earlier than later. And you should find your fulfillment in, in your spouse alone. I, I love Proverbs chapter 5. Here's what it says. Listen to the, to the I, I love the detail, the, the picture that it paints here for us. Listen to this. It talks about this in a way that is not sexually explicit, but it's so vivid. Proverbs 15.5 says, Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. That means when you're thirsty, come get a drink from your well and your well alone. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? And the answer is no way, man. It should be kept where it should be kept. Let them be, verse 17, for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Or in today's age, right? We should say it this way. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and look on, view, be a voyeur at the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Listen to this. Here, here's, here's the main thrust here. He dies for lack of discipline. He doesn't know how to control his own body. We've got to learn to control ourselves. You are not an animal. You're not. I don't care what the evolution heretic told you. You are not an animal. You are a human being made in the image of God. And by the power of God, you are in control over yourself that you might live for holiness. Be in control. Learn to control your own body. And I get it. Sometimes it's like controlling a horse and you know you tell it to go this way and it goes that way and there's all this fight. But nevertheless, you work, as Paul said, to discipline your body, to control your body. Finally, this. Guys, if you want to please God by walking in sexual holiness, then I must let respect, love, and fear motivate me. You say, well, why, why, why'd you have to throw in that last one? I mean, I, I get the love and respect thing, but why did you have to throw in fear? Well, that's because God threw that in here, all right? Look at verse 6. Let no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Listen to this, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before, and solemnly warned you. Guys, you got to respect God. God has commanded you. He has called you to live a life of holiness. 
And if you really love your neighbor, particularly your brothers and your sisters in this congregation, then you will have no desire to be sexually immoral with another man's daughter or another mom's son or another man's wife or another woman's husband. Like you love your neighbor enough to say, I'm not going to do that to them. But also God comes behind and says, if you cross the line, I will avenge. And so we fear God. Guys, here's the deal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And what God is telling us here is just wisdom. This is biblical wisdom for you and for me to live by. Now, as we look at this, we strive. That's our motivation, right? This is an aspiration. I want to live. I want to live in holiness, right? I want to live a life that pleases God in sexual holiness. But here's the deal. It is likely that every one of us in this room have not. At some point in our life, maybe even actively right now, we are not living in sexual purity, sexual holiness. And we read this a moment ago, that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what that means is that based on what you've done, you have zero hope to enter into heaven. I don't either. Based on what I've done, I have zero hope of entering into heaven on what I have done. So you're hopeless in yourself. But here's the good news this morning. You have every hope in the world in Jesus Christ, because he doesn't want to just save you. Guys, he wants to change you. Listen to what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, where it says this, and such were some of you. You were sexually immoral. You were an adulterer. You were a man who dressed in women's clothes. You were a man who wanted to have relations with another man or a woman who wanted to have relations with another woman or maybe two or three or whatever it was that your flesh drove you toward. But he says here, such were some of you. That's not who you are anymore. And how did that happen? By turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Every one of us are equal in the fact that we have no hope for heaven based on what we have done. And maybe your past is very sexually immoral. Maybe your present is very sexually immoral. But God has promised, if you'll turn from sin and trust in Him, that you will be washed clean and every stain of sin will be washed away and you'll have a hope of heaven. Even if you've blown it, God is here to restore and to redeem. That's the God that we serve. So here's my final prayer as the praise team comes this morning. May Christ be the Lord of your life, especially the Lord of your sex life.
Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.